and welcome back to the London Magazine podcast. I'm Jamie Cameron, an editor here at the magazine. I'm joined as always by my colleague Katie Tobin. Katie, it's lovely to be back in the studio with you. How are you feeling? I don't want to kind of break the fourth wall of the magic of podcasting, but we always record two episodes of our podcast back to back, right? So our last recording session was your first time in studio. Do you now feel like a veteran? How are you feeling? Are the the kind of first time nerves gone? Yeah, I'm used to the setup a little bit more. It's weird listening to yourself back as you as you speak, but I feel like I've I've got it down. I'm excited to be back after a restful period. We've both been on our holidays. We have. We feel rejuvenated and ready to podcast. That was what the holiday was all about, you know, getting yourself in the right state of mind to record some amazing podcasts. Exactly. Um, it has been a while, as we said, since our last recording, but we are delighted to be joined today by our guest, Tom Conan. Tom is the publisher of Scratchbooks, a small press dedicated to the craft of the short story. His reviews and essays have appeared in The Observer, The TLS, The Irish Times, The LA Review of Books and other places. And most importantly for listeners of the London Magazine podcast, he's also one of the judges of our recent short story prize, which is now closed and is in the process of being judged and shortlisted, etc. Tom, it is a pleasure to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Jamie. Lovely Lovely. to meet you all. To start, I wanted to ask with a direct but perhaps not so simple question as kind of basis for the rest of our discussions today. Now you've kind of dedicated no small part of your life to one particular genre. Um, So in really simple terms, why short stories? Um, It's it's an endlessly intriguing art form for me. I Mm. think when it's done well, there's nothing else quite like it. I was at an event last night and they, there's all these magnificent analogies for it. It's like a Chekhov called it, like a, a purest shot of, of vodka. There's a lot that can be said for it. And yet at the same time, a lot of people try it and don't get it quite right. And I, as a writer, as a young man, was was always at it, was always trying to get it. And sometimes you felt you were close, but you were never fully where you wanted to be. And I felt it's... It's somewhere where I, th- I think, as opposed to the novel, where you would be learning every three years about your craft, with a short story, you're getting feedback pretty sort of quickly. You, you know, you're improving as a, as a writer in maybe a month or so. It was much more iterative, I suppose, in that sense. Speaking of analogies, I was reading on the Scratchbook websites that your kind of mission statement or metaphor that kind of the whole name and, and press is based on is this idea of feeling the soft fur of a cat and discovering later as you walk away that it scratched you. Can you explain that for us a bit? It's There is this nasty old cat on our street who's very, very soft, and, and you would go and stroke it, and then you wouldn't fully understand that it had actually sort of just laid a, a paw on you until later you realised that you had the scratch marks. And I think the way that a short story doesn't really always have falling drama it doesn't always resolve or wrap up the story neatly for you. Um, it means that it haunts you, means that it lingers with you in a way that you don't really fully aware of at the time. And for me, that's like the scratch of this nasty old moggy on our street. So I'd love to know a little bit about Scratchbook's journey. So when, why, and also maybe how you actually got around starting your own short story focus press. Sure. I feel like we're very early on in the journey. It all started about lockdown. I've been a secondary school teacher for about 15 years and was running out of energy about the time of lockdown. And after that, I kind of, I had these these interviews that I've been working with for the Word Factory, these really fantastic craft interviews. And I was thinking about maybe doing something with them, making them into a book. And we did that 
and it sort of did very well. It got some lovely reviews and kind of at some point during that journey, as I was kind of working with these authors, doing all the little bits and pieces of the publishing kind of work, I think I must have crossed the Rubicon into becoming like I suppose a publisher of a small press at no point telling myself that this had happened at no point sort of you know getting the cards printed up saying director or publisher or anything I suppose it keeps on happening when you're talking about these interviews is that referring to the the interviews that eventually became reverse engineering so for context for our listeners or maybe you can even provide that what is reverse engineering because you're not just a short story press you're also a press concerned with the craft of the short story is, and that interview or that interview series kind of touches on that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, like as I've said before, it's endlessly intriguing, the short story. And I wanted to get the best writers of the form in a headlock and actually to, you know, beat the answers out of them. To find out for your own writing or was that never a motivation? I think it was probably at the back of it. I think that was it in that I had been published in a few places as, as a short story writer, but... What was the next stage for me? And actually, I, I remember writing a couple of stories as a young man, getting them published and thinking, OK, great, I'm a fantastic writer. <laughs> Off I go. And I wrote this, you know, I really wrote the hell out of a, a story. You know, it was fantastically poetic and lyrical. And it was like this sort of this sugar spun creation, but with no story in the middle. Mm. There was nothing there. And actually, I remember the sort of the kind of the feedback was like a proper kick to the solar plexus. And I think writers kind of need that feedback. And I don't know if workshops always give you that because it is a, a lot of noise, a mm. workshop. And so I think I wanted to go to the Oracle. I wanted to kind of find out, you know, what is it? What makes it? Always vaguely aware that there wasn't a single answer, but I wanted to know how people did it. And I thought the best way of actually asking them about their writing was to start from something solid, a real example. And... I was very lucky working with the Word Factory that these authors were very happy to talk about their work. So I, th I think, yeah, originally I was thinking as a writer, and I think that's always important when you're an editor or doing anything in publishing to actually keep that, that kind of the idea of the story and the novelist and the writer, the heart of it, I think is important. So when the, these these people that you kind of interviewed, they were very much contemporary or, or, or mostly right. Was there a writer? They were all alive. Yes. All alive, exactly right. Well, then is there a, a writer, dead or alive, but maybe perhaps more like kind of canonized that you look to or that made you fall in love with short stories? Because there are these short story writers in history, you know, the Chekhovs mm. and whoever else. Was it one of them or was it, uh, what was your initial way in? Yeah, it's hard to know. I think maybe when I think back to actually the more f formative short story writers, it, there's a brilliant collection by Penguin of Nabokov's short stories. Oh, interesting. And you see him as a young man mm. writing in Russian and then him writing in English and actually writing sort of American experiences. So I've, I felt very, very taken by him because his writing is so pyrotechnic that I think the short form it really responds well to, to him at his, like, his top work. Mm. So sort of relatedly, I'd like to talk a little bit about which presses inspire you. I feel like we're in a sort of indie publishing renaissance at the moment. And I'd love to know which publishers you are turning to as a model for scratch books and for your own work and why. Yeah, I think any publisher who's doing anything with the short form would always look up to a stinging fly. Yeah. I think they, they are just fantastic. I mean, the short story in Ireland has got a better cachet than it has in England, but that's, I suppose, one of the things that we're hoping to, I mean, not transform or turn over, but hopefully evolve. Uh, but the work they publish, how they publish it, 
um, the the reach they have and the the quality of authors uh, they have, as as well as their magazines and their workshops, they have a uh, something really really exciting. In England, I'm a huge fan of Prototype and Jess Chandler's work. Um, Lolly Editions, although that's a bit unfair because I also work for Lolly Editions. So <laughs> we, we love kind of self-congratulation on yeah, this podcast, yeah. so feel free. Yeah. I love my work at Lolly yeah. Editions. Um, no, Denise at Lolly Editions is fantastic. She's finding superb stuff. Influx, while they're around, I think are an absolute role model for uh, small presses. And there's many others whose names escape me right now, but those are the ones which I feel are the sort of the more conscious guiding lights for me. You, you thought about Irish short stories being somewhat more of their tradition than it is in England. Why, why is that? Because you hear stuff said about the oral tradition, how important mm. it is there. Is it as simple as that? Do you have a kind of theory for why this happens? Because it's, it's, it's definitely the case. We can't deny that, right? Yes, I do have a theory. I don't know how fair it is. I mean, the, you know, so the idea of the Irish oral tradition, I mean, we've met in pubs for 2,000 years and, yeah. and swapped stories. I wonder if... Our first experience of short stories in England is a page slapped down on your desk by a teacher <laughs> saying, give me some answers from that. I need to test how intelligent you are. I need to test what kind of a citizen you are from this. Mm. And it wasn't done for the love of the story. And actually, I wonder whether the, our love of a single story has been kicked out of us. I mean, whenever people talk about a short story, they're always asked to compare it to the novel, mm. which I don't know if, let's say a poet is asked as much about the form as maybe a short story writer is asked, you know, about the form as if it's like some sort of... So you should be embarrassed about almost. Yeah, or so some it's like some mutant sort of in between, some (laughs) hybrid, when actually, you know, it's the original form of narrative is, hey, let me tell you about this crazy thing that happened to me. Do you think there's a commercial aspect to that as well? Is it that the novel is this idea of that you can have a best-selling novel, but when was the last best-selling short story collection? Yeah, and I mean, that's a truism. So mm. oh. there is the, the sense that, you know, they will back a novel because it has been popular. And there's apocryphal stories about the novelist who brought out a book of short stories and it kind of ruined their career because the short story book didn't sell well. And so then when she brought out another novel, the... They didn't, the bookshops didn't take on sufficient numbers because they said, sorry, your last one, we've looked at your figures, it didn't sell so well. And also, I mean, is there something a bit random or arbitrary about the length of a novel? I mean, there's, again, it's an apocryphal story, but I quite like it. The length of a novel has been decided on at about 200 pages because that's the length of the time it takes you to read on the flight from London to Athens. <laughs> really? What I hear, what I I hear, but I like it. Mm. It, So is there anything, you know, we've become entrenched in a series of publishing kind of traditions that we're all kind of ingrained in. The publishing industry has shaped us to like a 200 page novel Mm. and in which case we will go after that. And Mm. actually now that novels are becoming shorter, I wonder whether there may be some room for change, you know, that, you know, novels don't have to be 80,000 words, they can be come down to 40,000 words. One of, one of the things I've, I'm just kind of improvising a, my own apocryphal story in my head here, but one of the Go things I it. found really interesting that you said earlier is that a short story allows you to kind of iteratively learn your craft. You know, you write a short story, it's good or bad, you move on, you learn from it, and then, you know, over having write, written 50 over a year or whatever, but the 50th is going to be you know, tangibly much better than the Absolutely, first. Yeah. And when in a novel, you don't really have that kind of sense of failing fast. Do you think that... The kind of the publishing world, at, you know, at large, or the quality of our writing more generally, would be improved by a focus on the short story because poetry, I think, thrives so much because of that aspect to it. You know, you can improve very fast. Right. 
Are we are we being you know potentially could we be spared some pretty mediocre novels if more people had that kind of did their time oh, as short story writers? Absolutely, yeah. Mm. I mean, and and actually, um, I will read novels where you'll see the writer's big fat thumbprints all over it, and mm. it's clumsy, and it's this person did not do their due diligence. They didn't work their way up through the short story. They didn't know. So with someone like Wendy Erskine, she holds it so finely. So, you know, you can hardly see her her hand holds on it. The story kind of exists with very little direction by her. And then actually, I've just been reading on the way here, um, uh, Jan Gare, who's a, a, a favourite author, and she doesn't seem to be holding or touching the, the, the story at all. It seems to be completely unheld by her and it's really rather remarkable and fantastic and also when you're going back to the idea of poetry a lot of poets will win short story prizes they'll uh, the white review short story prize usually has a poet in its shortlist the um brick lane bookshop short story prize mm. had a poet on its short story list so i always think that poets are cheating <laughs> i mean that we've talked about this before I, can't, I think i was in an interview with amy key where she said that kind of the conveyor belt of poets writing novels is much more productive than novelists writing poetry and absolutely. that that is 100 percent a thing yeah, yeah no absolutely yeah I, th I think i think the craft i think the the skill of the poet and maybe to a to a similar degree the short story writer would be greater than someone going straight in to bang out eighty thousand words mm. i was listening so last night i was at an event with tom morris who was saying that a short story of his took about 87 drafts and you know i don't think a novelist would do 87 drafts mm. so imagine how much more honed and how much better the short story and also the short story writer would be for just that great level of dissatisfaction with a story to make mm. it so much better. I was going to say that, yeah, that I don't think the novelist would, would have that opportunity. They have a year to write, and that, that might be theirs, their, mm. their year. There's a, the aphorism, right, of um, this letter is long because I lack the time to make it short. It's like, there you go, yeah, it's the time-consuming part is cutting things down. Yes. So. Using Tom Morris as a segue into a point that will feed into a broader question. Talking about Stinging Fly, I think it's really interesting to see the sheer volume of Irish writers. Mm. Um, there, there's so much talk about it at the moment. Irish novelists with, the, I think, the Booker Prize yes. shortlist being, what was it, third? Third Irish writers? A lot of them have tend to have their start in, in presses like The Stinging Fly. And, and there seems a lot more support for... Irish writers in the short story form, as you said. Do you think that's why we're kind of having this sort of renaissance of, of Irish writers at the moment? Because they're allowed to sort of foster their craft in, in this way? It's, it's a good question to which I'm not sure I'm fully qualified to, to answer. I don't know a lot about... I, I know that in Ireland, the, their, their council funds writing and the arts, I think, to a greater degree. But I don't want to do down what the Arts Council do in England. Arts Council mm. England is fantastic. And I think small presses and people in the arts industry are... I'm concerned when they start to complain about the Arts Council and saying, I didn't, we didn't get our funding this year. The funding mm. went over here. The funding went over there. We should be self-sustaining industries and not necessarily be leaning on Arts Council. I mean, that's just talking as a small press. Mm. I, I think the Arts Council does do fantastic work, and I can't, so I've kind of got lost in my answer there. But um, Is that the hardest thing, then, about running a, a small press? Is it just the, the financial imperative? You know, you have to be able to 
break even is that is that the yeah. most difficult thing and that's it's as simple that, as that that is the most difficult thing and it does it is what keeps you up very early in the morning thinking <laughs> who can i email who can i market mm. this to but it's so important and i think small presses sometimes slip into thinking they're unicef or thinking they're you know sort of like the, <laughs> they're you know they're kind of running it's a good name ch- for a small press <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're you know they're kind of running a church or for example saying mm. you know please give generously we need to fix the roof no you'll set yourself up as an industry and you're hoping to print words and people are going to give, give you the money for those words mm. And actually, if it doesn't work out, I don't think you can then switch business models and say, can you just give us the money anyway? <laughs> Do you think that's a rare mindset? Because I feel like the idea of art, you know, relying on patronage is, has, a, has a kind of tradition in the arts as well. Yeah. But again, if you, you know, we set ourselves up as businesses, we, you know, we're little capitalist entities and I don't think we can have it both ways. And mm. if we do our job well, we choose a good book, we edit it well, we market it well you know, it will it will sell and we should be able to balance the books. On a similar note, how, how have you seen the landscape of short story publishing change over the last few years? Because I'm relatively new to the small press, I think we're only like three years into this, I've seen it grow. I've seen some amazing writing come out. And I don't want to be too dualist and say small presses are great, the big five are rubbish. You know, the big five have have published Wendy Erskine, they've published Colin Barrett, Mm. they're publishing Yanger. Um, Camilla Grudova is, although initially with Fitzcarraldo, is now with uh, Atlantic, and they're producing the most incredible short stories. So for me, it's improving and getting better. But I'm always hesitant about sort of trying to sort of get an angle on this. You know, the the only sort of article that a lot of people will write about with short stories, the short story is dying. And then a few years later, (laughs) birth of a short story, rebirth. As is poetry, as is the novel, as is everything is dying, you know, repeatedly every 10 years. Yeah. And I mean, and, and... when they wrote an article about that a few years a few years ago, I was very grateful to be part of it. But I kind of um, I should have been more grateful and sort of went went along with it. But I said, you know, no, it's always there. It's always great. Mm. It, there's always fantastic, innovative work happening there. Mm. The literary journals are the, were the most recent one I've seen that are kind of quote unquote dying. I think there was quite a, there was a, a kind of broad article about that recently. Right. Hopefully that isn't the case. No, and, hopefully uh, for us. Yeah, and you know. Uh, Will, there will always be young, enterprising, artful people who will say, actually, there's a gap in the market here. Mm. So I want to talk a little bit about anthologies. What role do you see anthologies playing in the promotion of short stories? And if you have any notable anthologies in your catalogue? We wanted to start with some multi-author anthologies because they were kind of the, the sonne lumiere of publishing industry that we could get together like a, a festival of names of, you know, the great sort of writers of the moment, um, Chris Power called them, the, you know, basically the Avengers of the short story. And I'm not sure I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, depending on your, yeah. your Marvel inclinations. Yeah. Um, and I think it was a very good calling card. It was meant, meant that lots of people in the publishing industry, lots of booksellers were suddenly interested in us. And then from then, I could actually start publishing single author collections because if you read a really good single author collection and say, we're going to publish this, the danger is always it's only their mum who's going to buy the book. (laughs) And actually, you need to make sure that you have enough connections and you have enough um, sort of publishing reach that you know you're going to sell more than a thousand. You know you're going to actually... The original idea of publishing is to add value to a book because anyone could 
you know, printed off on mm. the photocopier. But a publishing company says, we'll, public, we'll, we'll print this a thousand times and we'll get this into people's hands. Mm. And I think I wanted to actually forge those connections with multi-author anthologies. And also, I think it was really important to do something a bit different with the short story. I feel that, as I've mentioned, the Big Five published some incredibly uh, brilliant authors. But is there more room for play there? So the reverse engineering was the idea of short stories combined with the interviews. And when I asked some newspaper magazines, sorry, some newspaper um, editors, would you review this? A lot of them said, well, usually we wouldn't review books of short stories, but this is quite interesting. Mm. So actually, not only was this something that came from our hearts, but actually it was an interesting and maybe important angle for us to get kind of noticed Mm. and we've got a book just coming out now the poet and the echo which is a book of short stories each one inspired by a poem Mm. and it's fantastic uh, work of i mean there's one which is absolutely seismic it's an absolute sort of shaking kind of um response to an old poem about slavery and it really brings it up to date and and i think that's the power in this there's the resonance between these old classic poems and this modern day short story and again i i don't think that a number of other people would maybe would have experimented with this so I i think it's important for us to be able to do that and some of our plans for books in the future are also sort of taking kind of like slightly askew ideas and kind of moving them into the the center frame i think there was a quote from review 31 reviewing reverse engineering i'm not sure if it was the first or second volume that said there's something about reading a story knowing that coming after it there's an interview that makes you kind of read it with this hyper um exacting eye about craft and and all these other elements that when you get to the interview you can kind of read it going spotting the the dots that are being connected and i suppose in the same way with a poem in the poet and the echo presumably have the poem then the story um, and I guess so you almost have the kind of reverse um, effect of, of how those those two things interact. Yes, um, yes. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, that's fine. And you, you mentioned briefly single author collections, right? And I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea of what makes a collection of short stories work because in The Poet and the Echo and Reverse Engineering, there's this kind of unity at least of, of method or form, mm. if not theme or style. Is it as simple as just having a, a load of really good readable stories and then chucking them together? Does it depend? How do you approach it as a publisher? Are you always thinking in the back of your mind, how can I add value by editorially by bringing together a certain group of, of stories from a single author? Right. I've, I've been very lucky so far that the books, the single author collections that we have coming out, the, the writer has kind of unified them already, that there's a world or a realm from which they come. But for me, and this is true in some of the short story events that we've been putting on, what's really exciting is this um, array. There's that Louis McNeese quote, um, the drunkenness of things being various, which actually if you go to a short story evening and you get sucked into four or five different worlds with no connection to each other, I think you come out of that evening richer and edified in ways you probably don't know about. So I think there is a bit of a world where the publishing industry says, can these be themed or can you, you know, get these ones out, these stories out because they're not on the theme? And actually, I don't really agree with that. And I would very much love to hear from an author who has, you know, eight stories of which there isn't any great connection that you are entering a very, very different world and you enter it full-bloodedly 
and you leave yourself behind and actually you've you've entered quite a few different dimensions and maybe you are more dimensional for that i guess it's, it's like with, with poetry collections you wouldn't often get an editor or a critic saying ah oh, <laughs> you know you're just not all your poems don't cover the same theme so you know i'm Can not really that cheese yeah it's like, so it is the double standard there i guess that also applies to this kind of malformed younger brother that the short story has become critical perhaps. yeah yeah so as a judge in our short story prize i'd love to know what it is that you specifically look out for when reading a story what makes it great what really draws your attention to it i, I always i always used to hate it when judges would say what they're looking out for i'm looking for <laughs> stories with people with center partings yeah, yeah yeah really really specific no um i suppose when i i suppose when i t- talk to translators who are who are saying you know how about we find you something from this country or this country i would say exhilarating and rich there is something I get, I get there's an, you know, an, an old expression about short stories, where it, you know, there's not a word wasted, which I think is a very, very important kind of litmus test for the short story. I think there's a richness to it. I think there's something organic where a lot of what has been brought to the short story is made to work. There's um, Jesse Greengrass talks about if there's something that you really like that's not actually working by itself, it's just a cog turning by itself, it's got to come out. And actually, I think of a short story, and this is a George Saunders quote, um, does it respond alertly to itself? And I think that's very important. What's the thing then that makes a story... Because I agree with you, it's very hard to answer this question and you end up... It's a bit like doing a call for submissions. You know, We want your... Sometimes I wish we could just put, we want your best work and just leave yeah. it at that. But... <laughs> But what's the thing that makes a story go from good to great? Because I know it's a lot of really good, competent stories, but they lack a certain something. And that as a reader, you, you know it when you encounter it, but it's very hard to put it into words. And I realise that I'm just kind of passing off the responsibility to you to put that into words. Right, but, I'm going to shuck it off. But, but do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. There, there is something between a good, competent story and a story which you say is like, you know, seismic, to use your word. Yeah. And, and I wonder if it goes back to the idea of the scratch. Mm. It goes back yeah. to... Sometimes when I think about a good ending for a short story, it's that scene in Back to the Future where the DeLorean's absolute speeding at them, 80 miles an hour, and at the last moment it stops in that it disappears, but the flaming tyre tracks goes through them. And actually, I think if you're walking away from a short story, having that sense of bloody hell and, you know, it, something went through you, the word stopped, but the sensation of its continuance is within you, then I think that's important. So I'm afraid I wasn't, too mechanistic and what you need but it was, it's one of these questions which is impossible to answer without making a metaphor whether it's you know back to the future or whatever else yeah. right so no but i i feel that that's illuminated, illuminated right, uh, it definitely. yeah okay yeah so back to the future folks <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna come in with one of our literary dilemmas so these are put forward by our followers on social media so someone's come in and they've said i have a few short stories that i want to put together in a collection how would i go about getting them published take a step by step step by step if that um, exists Okay. And here, I suppose I would have to be very conventional um, as as a short story publisher. I would want to see maybe eight to ten short stories, of which maybe half I'd be interested to see where they've been published before. I think if you've had a short story in the London magazine, my eyebrow is going to be raised. I think I'm going to be interested in that. And if there's been a sort of a, a history of publication, I think it'd be fantastic. I'm not we haven't opened uh, submissions at Scratchbooks for for a while. I wanted to be very, very white knuckled and controlling over um, what I'm commissioning. But the idea is, 
in the end to actually open ourselves up and say, this is who we are, this is how we've done, please submit your collections to us. I think what's great about the short story is you can get around a lot of the usual gatekeepers, uh, literary agents hold a, a very tight and, and and I think a very important control over a lot of the publishing industry. I think they're they're an excellent quality control and they work very hard for their authors. And I wonder whether short stories you can you can get published, you can you can win competitions, and I think you can get noticed for your quality of fiction through that. And I think that's an excellent way to just know how well you're doing. If you're getting rejected from five magazines with a story. I think it's time to stop submitting that story and take it apart again, redraft it. If you're in shortlisted or if you get commended from a magazine saying we're not going to publish it, but we really liked it, then you know you're onto something. And I think if you have that with, let's say, you know, eight to ten short stories, then I think you're probably going to have a very strong collection. So essentially get your stuff published in magazines and journals those signs are starting to come through. That's maybe yeah. a good indication that you have building a, a collection that could work for a publisher. Yeah, and I think you can be really proactive as a short story writer, whereas maybe as a novelist with your manuscript, you're maybe you've you've got to wait in line behind a lot of for a lot of literary agents. Mm. Okay, then in terms of the future of, of scratch books, because I find it really refreshing today to hear you talk about or not be embarrassed by this idea of wanting it to be commercially viable and successful on those terms. What's the future? Are you concerned with the idea of growing Gratch books? Is that, or is it more about purely focused on the output that you have? Is it anthologies? Is it going to be a com- combination of those things? Yeah, what, what does that future look like in your eyes? Commercial viability is pretty much, I suppose, the background. It's, yeah, we want to maintain, we want to be able to balance the books. I want to, and this is what's fantastic about running a short story company, is that I want to produce work which excites me and I've, we've, we're going to be into like 25, 2025, 2026 with some fantastic books. The goal is like short story millionaires. I think that's fair. That, that, that's a great name for anthology as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a pipe dream, but it's important. And there's a Ben Oakley said to me, sort of put his arm around me and said, uh, you just need one book, just need one book to, mm. to take off. And I suppose chasing that's always important, but always making sure that every story, every book that we do, uh, does well and actually if it hits the ground running that's superb but actually if something needs a lot of coaxing or something doesn't get the reviews it should then what can you do what other uh, marketing and sales can you do to make sure that it's viable because we didn't start off with a huge amount of capital if we have two flops then we're we're out mm. so we can't have a, a single flop because we need that money back to publish the next book mm. And dare I ask, your own writing? is that Does that exist now as a short story writer? Or Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had a bit of a strange sensation in that I, I now have an agent who picked up something of mine from a while back. Uh-huh. So I suppose I'll have to write something <laughs> at some point, but that's very much not in, in the front of my mind. And just as a final question, we like to ask our guests what they've been enjoying recently, whether that's an album, film, book. Please tell us about what you've been loving. Because... I don't do much but other than publishing. <laughs> and also my children go to sort of a local comp school and want sort of, we're trying to enrich them at home. I've been uh, learning The Entertainer, which is a grade three piece uh, by Scott Joplin. Yeah, that one, is that? Yeah, yeah, but at my speed, it's very slow and plungent and very sad, actually. That's, I don't think, maybe there's layers there that you're uncovering that no one has before. That's what I'm telling my children, yes. 
and that's your that's your choice of how to enrich their cultural life with Yanis. Yes, I like it's that just idea. how to play the piano badly. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, to all our listeners at home, you can find this on Instagram at the London Mag, at Twitter at the London Magazine, or X, I guess is it is now known, which makes me wince to say. <laughs> um, you can also subscribe to the London Magazine and pre-order our new issue that's coming out October first on our website, the London Magazine. Dot org, most relevant least for Tom. You can also look out for the shortlist announcement for our short story prize very soon. And then following that are three winners. I'm so excited to see what work Tom picks out and how that reflects some of the conversations we've had today. Um, Tom, thank you so much for coming. Thanks, on everybody. The it's been a pleasure. Uh, Katie, thank you so much. And we will see you in the next episode.